I think there's something to be said about the fact that data accountability has got to be where it starts, but there's also a level of you need to try things. You need to test things. You need to sometimes throw a bunch at the wall and see what sticks. And not everything is going to be successful. We are operating in a pretty new field where even if they could put a science around it, I think because it evolves so rapidly and there's so many pieces, the best practices don't necessarily exist. Uh, we have some, but not a ton. Uh, so how do we rely on each other? So we are um, sharing wins and successes, try that, edit it for our culture and our environment, and be okay with failing at some things. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the All Inclusive podcast. On today's episode, I'm joined by Sarah Axelworm, Global Head of Inclusion and Diversity at MIQ. In this episode, we discuss MIQ's approach to DEI, including insights from their recent published Inclusion, Diversity, Equity and Accountability report. Axel shares how the report has influenced MIQ's DEI strategies and highlights some of the most effective programs and initiatives they've implemented. As always, before jumping into the video, make sure to hit that subscribe button, turn on your notification bell and follow on your favourite podcast platform so that you never miss an episode. That being said, let's jump in. Hi Axel. Hi there, how you doing today? Oh, I'm so good. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Thank you so much for having me. Oh no, thanks so much for taking the time. So let's get started. Let's get stuck in. Um, tell us a little bit about yourself and your journey to where you are today at MIQ. Sure thing. Uh, so I'm Sarah Axelbaum. Most people refer to me as Axel, really because there are just so many Sarahs in the world. So it makes it much easier to do that. Um, I am a mom of two joyful boys. I live in Westchester, New York. I started my career actually on the advertising agency side and then moved into DEI more recently in my career, did a full career change. And here at MIQ, I have the privilege of leading diversity, equity, and inclusion globally uh, for MIQ. And we are an ad tech firm specializing in programmatic media. Oh, fantastic. That sounds great. And so with MIQ Digital, you've recently published your um, idea report, which is Inclusion, Diversity, Equity, and Accountability. Um, it's a report that you've published what I want to learn from you, a few of the highlights of this report, what was trending, what type have you found has been really useful? Yeah, so we actually look at data accountability as a key underpinning to all of our work. It is part of our strategy. So when we're looking at what is important to us, data accountability is our, our real leading force to how we can make better decisions and make sure we're on track. Um, our third report is actually about to be released this May. I am literally putting the final finishing touches on it right now and handing it over to our amazing design and marketing team to look, make it look beautiful. Um, but when we did our first report, we really had no idea what we would find. We didn't know where half of our data was stored. We didn't know uh, what it would say. And we saw a lot of positives and we saw a lot of places that really we could make some improvements. And one of the biggest discoveries in that first report, which was based on our 2020 full year data, was that women were actually more likely to be paid in the bottom half of their salary band. And we put a real focus on it, a real spotlight to say, hey, we will be very transparent about this fact and we're gonna take action to actually fix it. And it was incredible that by last year's um, idea report, we actually saw that that 
pattern had completely gone away. And that was really based on the dedication, time, money, resources, and also just focused attention on that data point that we were able to do that. So really proud that we could just close that gap in a year. And this new report coming out in May, um, actually, I, I was, you know, you kind of get into the data and you're a little nervous at first. Oh, gosh, what's it going to say? And I was thrilled to see that we've actually continued to maintain that equity year on year. Um, and then another piece that was really interesting that we found was that with our historically marginalized employees, especially at more senior levels, um, we saw that basically as the levels went up, the representation went down. And for this report that's coming out in May, a little preview, uh, we actually saw that representation of women went up uh, 42% since 2020, and BIPOC went up 35% for people that are manager level or above. So we were super excited to see that progress. And I think that it really shows the efficacy of the DEI strategy that we put into place and the fact that it's working and we can actually track that and be accountable for it and also look at where you know, where we can make better progress along the way. And this year's report is going to really spotlight the inspiring inclusive acts that our people have taken. And every single one of them are taking these amazing acts that are big and small every day to make MIQ a place that truly puts inclusion at the nucleus of our company. And we really want to elevate that and celebrate that because we know that it's not just inspiring internally, but it's also inspiring to hear what people are doing, you know, across industries. So really excited to have that new report coming out and that this is now our third year. Oh, fantastic. That sounds great. Um, I yeah. mean, we're talking about all the great stuff. I feel we do need to kind of go on the opposite end of the spectrum there. And I want to hear from you a little bit. What was the biggest challenges that you faced so far with creating this inclusive and diverse culture at MIQ? Yeah, I think, you know, when I arrived here, which was in the very auspicious time of March, 2020, um, it was very obvious that MIQ was a really nice place to work. People cared about each other, but it wasn't intentionally inclusive. And actually it was a struggle at first to convince people that there was a change that needed to be made in the first place because everyone felt pretty great. Um, and I think that, the people I was speaking to, they felt great and it felt great to a lot of people. And we really had to bubble up the fact that it didn't necessarily feel great for everyone. And we were missing populations of people uh, where we really had to make sure that those voices were a part of the conversation. And that's a big place of where the data accountability is a hugely important part. It's, you know, one of the interesting things is that as a company, the basis of what we do and a lot of what is we create value for our clients on is analytics of advertising campaigns. So we had to look at that similar analytics filter to say, how do we take a similar approach to our people data? How do we use survey research and focus groups and better understand sentiment and qualitative stuff? Um, and then we were really, really transparent about the data. And that really helped align everyone on common ground that hey, there are places that we're doing great and there are places that we need to improve and we are all able to come together to make that improvement. So I think that was a really key piece of what was, you know, an initial challenge. And then, you know, fast forward to right now today, I think it's hard to talk, have any conversation about DEI without talking about the fact that we're in the midst of turmoil politically, culturally, socially, and that creates a lot of headwinds. Um, and it really creates headwinds to the good work that we all believe in, to what we want to do. 
And I find myself having so many discussions, both inside and outside of the office around, you know, oh, thought policing, concerns about wokeness. And there's not enough conversations talking about the ideas that really unite us all. So, you know, every single person wants to feel like they belong. And Every single person wants to feel safe being who they are at work. And every every one of us wants to be prepared for the future. And I think it's really a key thing that divisiveness is a distraction. And we are constantly in this place where we are having to answer these, these questions about what's happening around us versus how we can be better internally, what we can do to make people's lives better. Um, and that's always kind of, around us and it's it's distracting and you know within that there's a lot of trust that has to be built and one thing that we have found can be hard and sometimes gets harder is gathering data around people when they're not sure how you're going to use it they don't know what's going to happen with it and they don't know what's countable they're hearing all these things about how you know people who are of the majority might suffer because of this, that there's this limitation, this hesitancy that really means that that is a part of data that we don't even have the ability to access because people won't tell us. Mm. Um, and, you know, I try to make it a little easy to understand that we don't know if there's a pay gap between genders. If we don't know who is a man and we don't know who is a woman and we don't know who is non-binary, we can't calculate it if we don't know. But still, it's this collective thought that what if this is being used improperly and should we be doing this in the current cultural atmosphere that we're in? In some countries that we operate in, data and, and giving demographics is actually not something that people do culturally. Um, so all of those complications come in where we know, you know what the best practices are when it comes to data, but trust and fear complicates everything yeah and so how how have you done that <laughs> how have you overcome how have you overcome that because you as a MIQ is a global organization and as you've said um and in previous conversations that I've had with some global leaders um they make the point that sometimes it's not always going to work in every part of the business in terms of where they are and where they're at inter and culturally so how do you overcome that and overcome that fear as well from some of your employees that just don't really trust that their information is going to be used in the right way? Yeah, I think, first of all, there's a level of acceptance of the fact that a lot of people are never going to want to give that. And that is perfectly okay. And we need to create safety in the fact that it's all right if you don't want to do it. But if your hesitancy is for this reason or this reason or this reason, here's what we're doing about it. Here's how we're protecting your data. Here's what we're trying to do to make sure that everything is as above board as it can possibly be. And we can just keep having those conversations, building that trust, showing the accountability, publishing the idea report that shows people exactly what we're doing with that data. And then anytime we can possibly anonymize it, take out things that are personally identifiable, is hugely important. Um, you know, we have to tie a lot of systems together. So we have our HRIS that collects everything about our employees. We have financial systems with pay. Uh, we also have to look at things like um, bonuses and commissions and equity and all of these pieces that come from different systems. And we never want that data to get into the wrong hands. We never want 
people to have access to it that um, shouldn't. So we try to filter as much as we possibly can through a system called Dandy, where it anonymizes the data for us, but allows us to make it really useful to drill in and understand and have a better idea of how to cross-tabulate everything, um, look at intersectionality, look at things on a more consistent basis. So it's not just you know reporting how we did in the idea report, but also looking at how we're doing along the way by having monthly, sometimes weekly updates to have that data without having anything revealing about people. So it's really those constant conversations about being really, really transparent. This is what we're doing with it. This is how we access it. This is who has access to it. And constantly revising it, constantly looking at how can we make it better? How can we make it safer? How can we make it so we are protecting people as much as possible? So that way we can create that trust and comfort that we won't use their data incorrectly and that the data that they give us is actually being used for good. Oh, fantastic. That sounds great. And I'm so glad that the the steps that you're taking and the approach you're taking is it's clearly shown for shone through in the fact that you've been able to kind of create three three years worth of reporting um and it's then impacting the way in which you're approaching DEI at MIQ um so it's often the case that the progress in DEI is slow uh you've already explained some of the progress that you have already made um which is great but what would you say, kind of looking ahead, what are some milestones or goals that you want to achieve for the following year? Yeah, I think when I started in this career path, I always looked at that journey as kind of being the one road that forever gets longer um, and that you kind of have a few high fives along the way and a few milestones, uh, but there's always more to do. And I still believe that's true, but now I've realized that there's also a lot of forks in the road, a lot of paths off the road that look kind of dark and scary that you have to wander in to make sure that, you know, nothing's going to come up behind you. And you have to make a lot of decisions that might mean that you take one fork instead of the other, and then you have to kind of rewind and revisit the other fork. And it's important to constantly have that level of evolution in what's happening because I think that that's how we create impact is, you know, making sure that we are exploring the different paths, um, but then also taking stock and making sure we are getting those high fives along the way and feeling really like, okay, we, we've achieved a milestone and that gives us the fortitude to move forward. And I think for us, you know, the big high five I'm looking for this year is around accessibility. And for us, you know, we know that we're compliant with local laws, that's a given, but compliance is not our goal. You know, we want to be a place that is not just good at accessibility, but hopefully eventually best in class. We want to be a role model for it. We want to be a place that people seek out because they know that we're, we're going to be safe and they're going to be supported and they're going to be confident that their coworkers are too and that there won't be barriers. And, you know, it's got to go beyond physical spaces. So we're looking beyond safety. We want to make sure that any place somebody encounters MIQ, so whether that's through our products or our website or on a Zoom interview or at a conference or as a potential supplier, potential client, that there's not going to be a barrier and that they're going to feel welcomed. No matter who they are, what they look like, what their abilities are, we want people to feel really welcomed here. Um, and I think that in terms of measuring stuff like that, a lot of these projects are very binary, yes or no. So did we make a list of what we could do? Yes. 
did we check off things on that list? Yes. Um, but, and that's important along the way because it helps us moving forward. But we also want to look at metrics like how do people answer survey questions about having what they need to be successful here? How much comfort have we created in people being able to ask for accommodations? And how many people are saying, I need this? How are we actualizing that? Like, are we actually creating that accommodation? And how successful is that? And also, you know, how many people are willing to list that they have a different ability, neurological or physical in our system. So creating that trust and comfort again. And then how are we recruiting people with different abilities? Um, are they seeking us out? Are they staying? Once they get in, how are they scoring on our surveys? So really kind of all of those metrics along the way. So it's not just about how do we create a place that's welcoming, but then what is that life cycle of that employee all the way through from top to bottom or our clients? You know, if we have products that cannot be read by a client who is colorblind, then we have created a limitation in their accessing something that we feel is very valuable. So those are the types of things that we're looking at, especially focused this year amongst a lot of other things, but that's a big one that I've been really passionate about. And we're finally in a place where we have a lot of our foundation built and we can start looking at being best in class instead of, you know, how do we make sure that it's as sound as it can be to start. So how do you know what to prioritize? Um, because I feel like a, a quality of a good chief diversity officer or just any leader really is being able to manage multiple multiple things that are going on and actually being able to prioritize and delegate. So how do you do it? That's a great question. And one that is an ongoing struggle, especially with the fact that we are trying to make systemic change, but also we need to be responsive to the world around us. And we need to support our employees during this times of crises um, or times of joy. And there are so many things that, you know, are fighting for our attention at any one time. And I think, first of all, we let the data guide us. So first and foremost, what is the data telling us? Um, so how do we make sure that the employees are having, who are having the most disparate experience from other employees, if we can track that to an identity, how do we make sure that we then are doing a listening circle with that group of people? We get a better understanding of their needs and wants, and then figure out how do we make some action planning around it and then hold ourselves accountable to those scores and those metrics changing once we have made those changes. Um, you know, with leadership, especially of people in management, I think we heard a lot that, oh, there's just not a lot of people from diverse backgrounds who are ready to be in these senior leadership positions. And I think on one hand, that's an easy out of the pipeline isn't big enough. On the other hand, sometimes you need to expand the lens of what a pipeline can be to bring in the best person. So when we look at where are we, where do we need more, we really put concerted efforts around how do we recruit and retain in these populations and also coach and develop. But I think there's something to be said about the fact that data accountability has got to be where it starts, but there's also a level of, you need to try things. You need to test things. You need to sometimes throw a bunch at the wall and see what sticks and not everything is going to be successful. We are operating in a pretty new field where even if they could put a science around it, I think because it evolves so rapidly and there's so many pieces, the best practices don't necessarily exist. Uh, we have some, but not a ton. Uh, so how do we rely on each other? So we are um, sharing wins and successes. Try that. 
edit it for our culture and our environment and be okay with failing at some things. You know, I think that we can be, we can make decisions based on as much fact as possible, but when you're dealing with humans, there's a level of intuition and test and learn that is a given to our roles that I think is always going to put us in a place where somebody could object that we focused on the wrong thing, but we can't let that be a limitation in testing and learning and developing. So that way we can find the things that work. I think a lot of us stumbled on things that, you know, oh my gosh, this, this really resonated with people. Let's take this little nugget and grow it and make sure that it is something that people are aware of why it, why it works and how to make it work and how to make it better and refine it as we go. So that way in the end, we're all just a little bit better. Right. Yeah. I mean, it kind of, when you were saying that about trying everything, it just does bring me back a little bit when, as a child, when, and also like my daughter's of the age now where she's starting to get older and we're like, okay, right. Like let's put her in like loads of different things and we see what, what she feels, like what she likes, what she doesn't like. And I feel like it's kind of a very much a similar approach with DEI is that you you have to just keep going and just keep trying different techniques and approaches to see what works. As you said, what sticks. And then when you do find something that seems to be sticking, dive a little bit deeper, see what what about it is working and how to improve it and, and progress from there. Because that, that kind of makes total sense to me. I, I completely get that. Um, and so with all of that, do you mind telling us a little bit about a project or a DEI program or initiative that you've put together and implemented that has actually had a positive impact? Yeah, um, we've done so many things that I'm so proud of. Uh, but I think one thing that I just keep hearing it's resonating really well with people is our focus on bystander intervention training. So DEI training has been researched a lot. And there's different levels of success that people have found. And a lot of times we hear like DEI training doesn't work. And I think that that is a blanket statement that is really about the certain DEI training that some people started with 10 years ago, we have found better ways. And I think that one of the better ways that I have really found resonates with people is by center intervention, because we know that we need to tell people what is and isn't acceptable. Because in a lot of cases, people were never taught or they don't know, or they're completely unaware of the fact that certain things could be offensive or might you know, put someone in a place where they feel excluded. So we need to tell people that to give them the chance to get it right. Um, and I think that the moment you tell somebody, you, know, you shouldn't do this, ooh, defensiveness goes up, people back away. And there's no way that you can do a training that creates defensiveness that's actually going to work. And I think that that's what was studied is that kind of, you know, how do we make sure that people aren't responding in a way that could actually be bad for the training where they're actually um, pushing back against it. And I am really fortunate that I have a global expert on bystander intervention on my team. And she created and rolled out a very interactive and engaging training. And it really empowers people about when and how they can step in to help someone else. And I mean, who doesn't want to feel like they're empowered to help someone else? Like that's a really positive thing. And sure, we're slipping in there the um, here's what types of things to look out for, which also trains people what they should and shouldn't do, but in a much more accessible way that people feel really positive about. Um, and it's on the big and little things. It's on, you know, 
here's maybe a microaggression example. How would you step in? And then here's a place where your safety warning bells are going off saying something isn't right here. How do you step in in a way that is safe for the person in a way that is not going to create more harm or in some ways, how do you deflect it and then report it later or do something about it later that can really allow this to be a more positive situation. I think a lot of us, when we're faced with a situation like that, don't necessarily know what to do or if we should do something. And this training really creates that empowerment of when to say something and how to do that in a way that is very um, productive for people. Mm, fantastic. And the way that it's received is really positive. And, you know, first of all, we, it was, it was so well received that our clients are now asking for the training. So we've been training some of our clients on this because we really feel like the more people are in this together, the better off we'll be. The other side is that we started seeing an uptick in reported incidents. And I think some companies would be like, oh no. Well, this is what, I'm so glad you mentioned that because I mean, don't get me wrong, I think it's it's great. And we do need to have training. And I like the way that the, the way that you've approached it in terms of seeing it as a positive. So highlighting, this is how we can empower you to do the right thing. Because if you see something that doesn't sit right and doesn't look right, this is how we're giving you the tools to be able to to say something and be comfortable with saying something, um, as well as knowing how to spot when something isn't a good situation. Um, so I, that all sounds amazing. But in the same breath, I feel like if we are empowering people to say something and speak up, then they're going to speak up. And then what happens after that? So I'm interested to hear from you, Axel, is that what have you put in place to be able to address when someone does speak up? Yeah. So for us, first of all, it was giving them the tools to do so in whatever manner they were most comfortable with. So we have anonymous reporting channels. We have go together channels. We've created more trust and safety in who can be reported to for what. And yeah, we saw an uptick. And I think that it would be very easy for everyone to kind of close down the hatch and say like, oh no, there's an uptick in incidents. That means things are going terrible here. But really what that shows is that no one is immune to incidents and that people actually feeling comfortable and empowered and safe speaking up is exactly the culture we want. That's the organization we, we want to be. We want to be the kind of organization where we have each other's backs. We look out for each other. And also when something is reported that we are going to really take action. We're going to, we're going to investigate. We're going to do inquiries. We're going to make sure that when things are brought up, that we're going about it the right way. And that sometimes things can be brought up that are unfounded. And then we'll also talk about that. And when things are founded, that we take action and we do something about it. And the more trust we build with people, the safer we all become. And I think that that's just a huge testament to moving from an organization filled with nice people who might not say anything to an organization that's truly inclusive and safe. Mm, and I think that's the key as well from what you literally just said is that we're not trying to say that organizations now need to just be filled with nicer people. It's actually about people that feel that they can bring their full selves to work. And if they do feel that they can't, they say something about it or that they are mm. surrounded by people that will help and support them to try and get them to where they do feel that. Do you know what I mean? Like, I think that is what, Absolutely. that is what it is about. It's not, and I think now as time has gone on and with everything that's happening in, in, in the economic, economic, oh, I can't even get my words out. 
<laughs> now that everything is happening with the world today, I just think that it's even more important that we really drill down on all of those initiatives and programs that we put in place to create these inclusive environments for people because it's going to make a world of difference. Um, so yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm so pleased to hear of all the great work that you guys are doing at MIQ and that you've been doing it. It sounds amazing. Um, before we part ways, Axel, um, I would love to hear from you some parting piece of advice. So any advice that you have for DEI leaders that are starting out on their journey? Yeah, I think that one key piece is doing nothing is worse than doing the wrong thing. And I think that that's something that we learned pretty early on and we have to keep reinforcing because I think we're in a place right now where, especially after the murder of George Floyd in summer of 2020, the pendulum swung pretty high this way. And now we're watching some of that pendulum swing the other way. And I think leaders feel a lot of pressure to back off and be like, I'm just going to slink back in because no one's demanding something of me. Therefore, I'm just going to stay quiet. And I think that that is actually how we wind up in this perpetual cycle. And leaders staying quiet is actually going to be how we have to keep revisiting these conversations. And if our leaders would really feel empowered to inspire others, like really lead in a way that other people want to follow, be an influence and be a, a person who shows this, you have to be demonstrable. You have to be visible. You have to be transparent and you have to be vulnerable and that's scary for a lot of leaders who have especially been brought up in the culture of I show no weakness and I think that looking at the world around us that type of leader has not been long-term successful and certainly won't be with this new generation of people and then for people who are doing you know the DEI stuff directly I think that it's really important just to remind people to have the courage of your convictions. There's going to be a lot of people who are going to want to chip away at the work. And it's important to listen. It's important to take it in. But it's also important to let some of it roll off your back. Because um, for every single person who wants more, there's going to be someone else who wants less. For every single person who says A, another person is going to say Z. And it's okay to not please everyone in this role. Um, and that's where I think having a sounding board, having a network, Getting out of my echo chamber is sometimes really important so I can lean on people who are doing this work and say, hey, I'm experiencing this thing that is new. Are you too? And we almost always find this level of camaraderie and like, oh my gosh, me too. And there's a level like, okay, if we're all facing the same thing, how do we link arms together and make one plus one equal three? And that is such an important part about keeping us all going. Um the data is certainly something that helps ground all of us. So, you know, try to be a customer of the data, let it guide you. And then knowing that you're not going to be successful at everything. You know, we're dealing with complex issues, ripe with turmoil. We're dealing with humans, highly personal, highly emotional stuff. And we're not going to nail everything out the gate, but you need to really forgive yourself and keep going. Oh, thank you so much, Axel. I love that. And thanks for all of the great advice and, and insights that you've given today. Really do appreciate it. Uh, so how can our viewers, our listeners connect with you? I would say LinkedIn is probably the best place. Uh, I am Sarah.Axelbaum. Uh, so spelling Sarah without an H is key there. Uh, and 
you know, unfortunately, LinkedIn has become a bit of a uh, place where a lot of people who are interested in selling me things try to sell me things. So, uh, you know, getting outside of that is is tough. But by all means, tell me if you if you listen to this podcast because that gives me a really easy place to say like, all right, you are not necessarily trying to sell me this new tool, which uh, may or may not apply to my life, um, but rather that you want to have a conversation. You want to talk about this stuff on a more one-to-one level, because that is absolutely key uh, for making sure that this work is really fortified and that we're all fortified because this is hard work. And I think we all need each other more than ever. So reach out that way. Um, And if I don't respond, just say, hey, I'm I'm not a telemarketer, so come let's chat. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, trust me, um, I completely understand where you're coming from. And yes, yeah, so if anyone is listening and they want to reach out to Axel to gain a little bit more insight into the work that she's doing, and also just to get some tips on your for your own journeys, definitely reach out to her. I will be linking. Um, I'll put a link to her profile down below in the credits for this show. Um, and once again, Axel, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you so much for having this podcast. I think you know talking about how we all feel connected to each other. This podcast is a really great way of all of us, you know, looking at, oh gosh, that's really familiar. I can really take something from this. So thanks for creating this little space where we can all find each other a little bit more because we need it right now.